We've been in Psalms for three weeks now. We're finishing Psalm 34 today. Finishing Psalm 34 today. A couple things as we, before we get into that. If you're a note taker, fbcdan.com slash notes. We'll take you to my notes. You can take notes on that and then email it to yourself at the end if you like to keep that for safekeeping. If you're not a note taker, then don't worry about that. If uh, you're part of this church, then you should be reading Psalms. I believe today was Psalm 47 through 51. Is that right? So I see some head shaking. Um, if you hadn't started reading through the Psalms yet, this, this link is, is, just has it by days. Just go by the day of the month. So if you hadn't started yet, then jump in on day 10 because today's July 10th. And you can get right in with us and start reading through the Psalms. We're going to do that this entire month. I told you last week, and, and I meant it, I'm going to try and do it for an entire year. Psalms every month for the next year and just uh, see what the Lord does with that in my own heart and in my own life. So we've been in Psalms, like I said, for a, a few weeks. Psalms is a ginormous book with a bunch of stuff going on and a bunch of things. If you missed uh, the first week of this series, we went through the introduction and kind of all the backstory of Psalms and a lot of things like that. We will not rehash that today. If you need to hear that to help you understand, I would suggest you go back to uh, fbcdan.com and you can find that that first, that first uh, sermon. But the, the question is, maybe some of you are having, as we've gone through these, why the Psalms? Why study the Psalms? Of all the books that we could be spending time in, why study the Psalms? Here's a few reasons why. Okay, here's a few reasons why. If you're a note taker, here you go. One, it engages the themes of Scripture. We talked about that in depth the first week, but it engages all the themes of Scripture. Uh, righteous versus wicked. God's sovereignty divine and human, and how that interacts. God is a refuge. God is a, a stronghold, a hiding place, right? Second thing, it gives words and ways of how to worship. Psalms gives us words that we wouldn't really have. It's so cool to sing words that were sung 3,000 years ago. It transcends the present. It transcends all the Silly little things that we deal with on a day-to-day -day basis that we get caught up in. And it takes us to this higher place. This, this, this place where we connect with people that have worshipped God for a long, long time. And it just speaks to us. So it gives us words and ways of how to rejoice. How to, or excuse me, of how to worship. Things like rejoice, dance, sing. Whoa. Uh, give thanks, confess, grieve. Express anger, make requests, proclaim his name, which is a big part of the psalm that we're in right now. Okay? It teaches us to celebrate that God is good. God is good. He is holy. He is loving. He's protective. He's faithful. He's a promise keeper. He's a giver of good gifts. He's the giver of good gifts. It teaches us that God is great and that he is powerful. He is creator and sustainer of all things. He is mightier and more powerful than all the armies on earth combined. He's majestic. It teaches us that God has a plan. He desires that all peoples know him. And he's worthy of that. The Psalms are, in the end, fulfilled by Jesus. They're quoted in the New Testament often. The psalm that we're looking at today is quoted in the New Testament three times. He's, Jesus' life and ministry is the ultimate righteous person of Psalm 1. 
the introduction that we've looked at. He, he is the anointed son, the king, the Messiah of Psalm 2. The psalmist, the psalmist laments and prays, and his prayers are echoed by Jesus in his life. Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of the psalms, obviously, because he is the word. He is the fulfillment of all things God has spoken. It teaches us that God is sovereign over all, and he will assert his authority over all false gods, over sin, over evil, over death and destruction. He rules and he reigns, and we're connecting to something that is big and deep and more than just us. And it's important for us to remember to do that. We're in book one when we look at Psalm 34. There's five books in, in Psalms correlating like the five books of the law of Moses. And this particular psalm, I didn't mention this last week, is an acrostic psalm. Remember, these are originally poems. It's an acrostic poem. What that means is, it would be like in English, we would start every verse with the next letter in the alphabet. So A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Every line, the first word would start with that letter. That's what this does in the Hebrew. So it's got a clear thing that it's working through in the Hebrew, except for the last verse, which we'll get to at the end today. The last verse breaks away from that pattern. It skips the letter wa and then goes to the last verse. Excuse me. So as we get into that, let's read it together. Psalm 34, I will praise the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will boast in the Lord. The humble will hear and be glad. Proclaim Yahweh's greatness with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant with joy. Their faces will never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him from all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescue him, rescues them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. How happy is the man who takes refuge in him. You who are his holy ones, fear Yahweh. For those who fear him lack nothing. Young lions lack food and go hungry. But those who seek the Lord will not lack anything good. Come, children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Who is the man who delights in life, loving a long life to enjoy what is good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from deceitful speech. Turn away from evil and do what is good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their cry for help. Their face, the face of the Lord is set against those who do what is evil to erase all memory of them from the earth. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears and delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is near the brokenhearted. He saves those crushed in spirit. Many adversities come to those, comes to the one excuse me, who is righteous, but the Lord delivers him from them all. He protects all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Evil brings death to the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be punished. The Lord redeems the life of his servants, and all who take refuge in him will not be punished. Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. God teaches to revere 
and love and fear and worship you in a way that shows and somehow matches your glory. Teach us to taste and see that you are good. Lord, teach us to magnify your name together forever. God, as we open up your word, please do a work in each and every one of us, and in me especially, Lord. We pray it all in Jesus' matchless name. Amen. So real quick, where we finished last week was in verse 8. Verse 8, taste and see that the Lord is good. How happy is the man who takes refuge in him. And we talked about uh, how this is an experiential thing. We can experience God. God wants us to experience him. It's not just a, an, intellectual, an intellectual ascent. It's not just a thought. It's a way of living. It's a way of experiencing the world. God says, just try me out. Try me out. Try me and you'll find that I am good, that I tell the truth. And we, look, we talked about this word right here, tob. So it's a soft V, tob in the, in the Hebrew. It's good. Seventy times using the book of Psalms. Four times just in this psalm. The Lord is tob. We will not lack anything that is good. What is tob? Is the man who turns from evil and seeks what is good. That is tob. God says, try me, trust me, seek me, see me, taste me, experience my life, my way of living, and you will find that it is good. So we're launching from that same spot today because it's really kind of the axiom that this psalm kind of turns on is that truth. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see how happy is the man who takes refuge in him. And I don't know about you, but sometimes this life makes me need to take refuge. And there's no better place to take that than in the Lord. So we're picking up with verse 9 with that same mindset that same idea verse 9 you who are his holy ones fear Yahweh for those who fear him lack nothing Warren Wisby says it this way when it comes to this verse those who fear the Lord need fear nothing else those who fear the Lord need fear nothing else if you fear the Lord you need to fear nothing else this this is genuine worship church a worshiper in spirit and truth, as Jesus talks about. God provides all we need when we look to him as our sole supplier of needs and good things. This is worship. He is Jehovah Jireh. He is the God who sees and experiences the need of you and me and provides what is needed. And then David goes on here in verse 10 and gives kind of an illustration of that, that God does that. Kind of a neat one, really, I think. It says, young lions lack food and go hungry, but those who seek the Lord will not lack anything good. Think about that. The lion, right? The lion is strong. The lion is powerful. The lion is feared. The lion is respected. But even the most powerful beast sometimes can't find any food. Can't find what he needs to sustain himself. Even the strong, young, capable awesome, majestic lion goes hungry. So you think you can fulfill all your needs on your own? How foolish. How foolish of us to think that. It's kind of the underlying point here when you look at this. Seek the Lord. Seek the Lord. And not only will you have everything you need, according to this psalm right here and throughout Scripture, 
Not only will you have everything you need, you will also have every good thing you need. All good things that you need, you will have. Here's the thing. If you don't have it, then it ain't good for you. Or it ain't good for you yet. Maybe you're not quite ready for that good thing yet, and God knows that. But if you need it, you're going to have it. Trust him. Try him out, he says. Jesus says it this way in Matthew 6, in my favorite sermon. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. We don't live like that. We don't live like we actually believe that, for the most part. We toil and toil and toil and toil, thinking that our efforts are what is going to sustain us until something comes along and punches us in the nose, something in life, and reminds us that we have no control over anything other than whether or not we worship the Lord. I wasn't expecting to get, I was like trying to build a little bit. I'm already like coming out guns blazing. Boom, boom, boom. This psalm is awesome. I love this psalm. Verse 11. I can just hear David, kind of the tone changes, right? Come, children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. If you're supposed to fear the Lord, then what does that mean? Who is the man who delights in life, loving a long life to enjoy what is good, keeping your tongue from evil and your lips from deceitful speech? Turn away from evil and do what is good. Seek peace and pursue it. Who, David says, come here, listen. Who desires, who desires a full life? Who, who has life abundantly, as Christ says in John 10, 10? Now, this, this kind of life has, has little to do with what we concern ourselves with, has little to do with possessions, it has little to do with status or fame, but it has a lot to do with character and faith and a desire to honor the Lord. That's what this life has to do with. Solomon, the youth know that I like to refer to him, Solomon was the richest, most famous, and worldly wise man alive when he was alive. And he said this about living in the world apart from God in Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Therefore, I hated life. The man that tried everything that this world has to offer, had it at his fingertips, at his beck and call, anything he wanted, anytime he wanted it. And he said, living like that, apart from living for God, I hated life. And if you drill down in anyone that you know that you think is living life and loving it, but they're living for the world, if you'll drill down past the surface, you'll find they feel the exact same way about life, living apart from God. What does it mean to fully worship God, to be a genuine worshiper, to fear Yahweh? Tony Evans, my man, he could say it like nobody else. If you want to enjoy what is good, then do what is good. That's what this verse says. If you want to enjoy what is actually good, then do what is actually good. So what exemplifies a man who delights in life, who fears the Lord? Well, according to this verse, he speaks what is true. He speaks what is true. Proverbs 21, 23 says, The one who guards his mouth and tongue keeps himself out of trouble. <laughs> you ever found that to be true? The opposite way? <laughs> I certainly have said more than I should at times. 
Or speak the truth in love, as Ephesians 4.15 4, says. Speak the truth in love. Or like Jordan Peterson says, he says it like this. Tell the truth, or at least don't lie. Right? Tell the truth, or at least don't lie. Because sometimes it, we don't know. Sometimes it's hard to like say like what is the truth, but you know what's a lie. To yourself and to others, you know what is a lie. Don't lie. Don't lie. Here's the thing. You want a strong character? You want to have a strong character, a strong inner self, a strong character, the kind of character that can sustain in this world? The kind of character, another quote of Jordan Peterson's, the kind of character that when your father dies, the family can rally around you because you can do what's necessary to lead the family forward, to take it through the steps that it takes, instead of being the person in the corner, crumbled up, life is just eating them up. Do you want to be that man or do you want to be the man that can stand up and your family can look to you? And you can carry on. You can put your family on your back if you have to. Which man do you want to be? You want to have strong character? I'll tell you a way to do that. Stop telling deceitful things to yourself and to others. Stop telling deceitful things to yourself and others that you know are not the truth. The little things. The little manipulative things that we say to gloss over things that we know to be true. We, we call them all sorts of things. We call them all sorts of things to make ourselves feel better about lying. But what they are is lies. That's what they are. Do not participate in this in any shape, form, or fashion. Every time the opportunity presents itself, and you can either gloss it over with a little white lie or tell the truth, tell the truth. Think about this. Think about how much you actually struggle with this. Not the big stuff, the little stuff. The day-to-day, the relationships you're in all the time, the little things. Something is said, something is done to you, about you, in society. Think of all the things being said in society right now. That's a list. When's the last time that we said, nope, I'm sorry, that's not true. I don't believe that. You think that's going to be easy? <laughs> that takes backbone, a steel, Jesus-renewed, supported backbone to do that consistently. And we just don't do it very much. As a, as a church, as a whole, as a society, we just kind of, I mean, we get in corners. We get in corners and we kind of complain about it a little bit. But we don't ever actually just say, nope, that's not true. Because I'm telling you, when you do that, the darts are going to fly. The world ain't going to like it. The world is not going to like that. Darkness does not like the light. Jesus was very clear about that. But I'm telling you, who is the man that genuinely worships the Lord? Who fears Yahweh and nothing else? The man that will stand up for the truth every time, regardless of the cost. It says, pursue goodness. Pursue righteousness at any cost. 
Pursue peace unless you're keeping the peace with lies. Seek every effort to make no enemies. But tell the truth. In other words, say it like this. The good you enjoy works together with the good you do. It really is that simple. The good you enjoy in this life is directly correlated with the good that you do. Not goody two-shoes, good, real good, like telling the truth. Here's what I'm not saying, okay? Here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying you need to be a good little boy. You need to show up to church and sit in the pew and smile and be quiet and attentive and then go out and go on your merry way. That's not what, we're, that's not what we mean by good works. I mean, when someone's being taken advantage of, you stand up for them. When someone's lying about something, you say, no, that's not true. Well, if I say that, I might lose my job. Yeah. You might. You might. It's going to come a day when to stand here and say what's true may not even be legal. <laughs> you don't think that's the road we're headed on. We're headed directly down that road. A whole lot faster than we realize living in our little Yale County bubble. I mean, if you get out and see what's out there and going on, it is headed that way faster than you can blink. So I'll have to cross that road, right? The Lord calls, keeps me in this position. I'm going to have to do that one day. I'm going to have to stand right here and say what's true, knowing that it could put me in jail one day. I don't look forward to that day. I hope I'm dead wrong. I hope that doesn't happen. That's the direction it's headed. It wouldn't surprise me. And it's headed there a lot faster than we realize. But David says here in this psalm, if you want to enjoy what is good, then do what is good. What is it? Who is the man who fears Yahweh? It's the man who doesn't fear the world because he fears Yahweh. He does what's right. Verse 15, moving right along. Take a deep breath. That was heavy, I know. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their cry for help. The face of the Lord is set against those who do what is evil, to erase all memory of them from the earth. If God is all-powerful and sovereign over all, and he hears our cries, and his eyes are on us, then what do we have to fear? If God is all-powerful and sovereign over all, and this psalm says that his eyes are on us and his ears hear our cry for help. If we believe that, then what do we have to fear other than the Lord? Only him. God, God's grace, his real, his God, God, <laughs> Let me reverse that. God's grace is real. There we go. And so is his wrath. See that there in verse 16? His face does not welcome those who do evil. I know it feels like God's just letting stuff go sometimes. But he ain't. He's just not taking care of it in the time and, time and manner and fashion that you want him to. He's not letting it go. 
says he's going to erase all memory of evil from the earth. You know what I'll say to that? One, glad I'm redeemed, or I would be part of that, because I'm just as evil as anyone else in my nature. And two, thank God. I'm ready for evil to be gone. Tired of it. Says he's, he will leave them utterly repelled and estranged. Proverbs 10, 7 says it this way. The remembrance of the righteous is a blessing. Think about the, the righteous people you've been able to enjoy in your life. And what a blessing it is to remember them. The memories of those. But the name of the wicked will rot. I love the way the HCSB says that. The name of the wicked will rot. Moving along, verse 17. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears, and delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is near the brokenhearted. He saves those crushed in spirit. That's a verse, and it's said this way in, in numerous psalms. That's a verse that was sent to me by many of you in the last year and a half. A remembrance of that, right? The Lord is close. The Lord is near the brokenhearted. He saves those crushed in spirit. He, he, David is kind of repeating what he's already just said, right? That's what poetry does. It makes a point and then makes it again. He reaffirms that the ears of Yahweh El Shaddai, the ears of the Lord God Almighty, they hear our cry for help, and he delivers from the trouble. Then he, then he adds that the, that the Lord is near the brokenhearted, and he saves those crushed in spirit. Notice, notice, church, this is a good one. Notice that there is no condition here for that. It does not, he's near the brokenhearted if. He's near the brokenhearted when. Mm -mm, that's not what it says. The Lord is near the brokenhearted. He's there whether you realize it or not. He's there whether you can feel him or not. That's one of my favorite lines about that song we sang today, that new song that we sang. That's from church camp. It was like our anthem at church camp. It says, I will not be formed by feelings, but I'll hold fast to what is true. Feelings are important. Emotions are important. You don't really have change or passion in life without them. But feelings in and of themselves will lie to you. They will lie to you when they're coming from our sinful nature. So whether you realize it or not, God is there. He is near the brokenhearted. What a beautiful truth to hold fast to. Instead of going, you know, I just don't feel God. You know, I shouldn't really feel him in that service. You know, I shouldn't really feel him. What does that mean? Maybe, you're, maybe you should have got more sleep. Maybe you're just a little tired. Maybe you had a bad breakfast and your stomach's a little upset. I don't know. What's I didn't feel God. Give me a break. Throw your feelings out. I don't want to hear that. Did you hear the truth of the majesty of God in that song? Feel that. <laughs> That's what matters. Not my feelings. My feelings. I'm so sick of feelings. Oh, Lee. No. He's there. He's there whether we feel him, whether we acknowledge him, whether we trust him to be there. He's there. He's there. Know that. Check this out, Isaiah 61, on a similar note. The Spirit of the Lord God is on me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, 
to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of our God's vengeance, to comfort all who mourn. And that goes on and on and on for several verses. And it said in Isaiah that this is the Messiah's proclamation, that the Messiah would do these things, that he would heal the brokenhearted and proclaim liberty to the captives. And then Jesus goes to the synagogue on the Sabbath and reads this passage from Isaiah 61 to the Jews that were assembled in the synagogue. And after he reads it, he says this in Luke chapter 4. He then rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed on him. He began by saying to them, Today, as you listen, this scripture has been fulfilled. Skeptics out there say, Jesus never claimed to be God. He just did. That's what he's saying. He literally says it right there. Like people that say that have never read God's word. Stop believing what they say. Jesus said he was God over and over and over and over. And this is one of my favorite places where he says it. Because he says he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. And I've been brokenhearted. And I'm thankful that Jesus heals the brokenhearted. You ever been brokenhearted? Thankful for a God that wants to heal the brokenhearted. All right, time to get tough. Verse 19. Many adversities come to the one who is righteous. Many adversities come to the one who is righteous, but the Lord delivers him from them all. You know what that means? Get tough, Christian. Get tough. Get tough. We don't need any more poor, pitiful me Christians in this world. We don't need any more poor, pitiful me Christians in this world. Wah, wah, wah. Like, get a baby bottle and have somebody burp you. (laughs) I mean, seriously. God says it in his word over and over and over and over. Living for him is not easy. Many adversities come to the one who is righteous. You know who was the most righteous? His son. Boy, he had an easy life. Oh, wait, no, that's not, that's right. His life was pretty hard. Like, you literally couldn't write a more tragic story if you were trying to. Think about all the elements that go into Jesus' life. Just the passion. Just that alone. Just the passion right? Betrayed, betrayed by his best friend, betrayed by his people, betrayed by the state, chose a thief over him. Like you couldn't make it any worse if you tried. <laughs> but then you couldn't make it any better either if you tried. The Lord delivers him from them all. Yeah, Jesus went through adversities. Yes, you will go through adversities. Yes, you will. But ultimately, whether in this life or in eternity, God delivers us from them all. In other words, for that statement right there to be true, it rings out into eternity. For that statement to be true, eternity has to be true because you know people that weren't exactly delivered from adversities in this life. But that's not all God means. 
He means ultimate deliverance, true deliverance, deliverance from sin and evil and death, real deliverance. Many times in this life, yes, but not always. And this verse right here is pretty cool. He protects all his bones. Not one of them is broken. This verse, and it says it in a different way, but very similar in Exodus 12, 46, are a prophecy, ultimately a promise perfectly fulfilled in the passion of Christ on the cross. Check it out in John 19. Many of you know this, but for those of you that don't, prepare to be dazzled. They requested that Pilate have the men's legs. This is John chapter 19 in the New Testament. They requested that Pilate have the men's legs broken and that their bodies be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first man and of the other one who had been crucified with him, him being Jesus. When they came to Jesus, they did not break his legs since they saw that he was already dead, which dying that fast on the cross didn't happen very often, but all part of God's plan. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with the spear, and at once blood and water came out. He who saw this has testified so that you also may believe. The people that were there have testified to you in person, and I'm reminding you in this letter, John is saying. His testimony is true, and he knows he is telling the truth. For these things happen so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. Also, another scripture says they will look at the one they pierced. How cool is that? How cool is that? David wrote this psalm a thousand years before Jesus was on the earth. And it's one of hundreds of prophecies that Jesus' life fulfilled. One that seems insignificant, but it's not. Because, because the statement of the bones being broken figuratively is, is extreme oppression, extreme persecution. That's what it's saying, that God will not allow it to go a certain distance. It's only so far that he'll allow it to go for those who take refuge in him. Ultimately trust that he won't let it go further than you can, than you can handle with him. You can't handle it with yourself, but you can handle it with him. That's pretty cool, this psalm. And then 21, evil brings death to the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be punished. He's reiterating it again. Here's, the, here's another way you can say that. No one gets away with anything ever. No one gets away with anything ever. Wow. There's, that one reason alone is enough reason to fear Yahweh. And be thankful for his redemption. And then verse 22, we break away from the acrostic letters. The Lord redeems the life of his servants and all who take refuge in him will not be punishment. This is a summary of the psalm. This last verse. It's a summary of Psalm 34. You, you would notice this if we were reading this in the Hebrew. Just like if it was an acrostic poem in the English, you would notice. You'd be like, hey, it might be a little slow on the uptake, but you'd be like, that's A, B, C, D, E. And then all of a sudden it's not. Must be making a point here. Each verse of the poem starts with the next letter of the Hebrew alphabet, except for it skips the letter Wa and it repeats the letter Pe. This verse is a clear break from that format, showing, showing the poem has said what it's going to say and that this is what it said. That's what conclusions do. You probably got taught that in English class, right? Tell them what you're going to say, then say it, and then tell them what you told them, right? I learned that in third grade. That's what he's doing here. The summary, this last verse calls attention to itself by breaking away from the acrostic style for a purpose. It reminds us of the why 
of verse 1. Remember what verse 1 said? It was a long time ago when we read that. I will praise the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. Verse 1 is the what. Verse 22 is the why. We do the what. Because the Lord redeems the life of his servants. That reason and that reason alone is enough reason for us to praise him at all times, regardless of circumstance. Because, as this verse tells us, the greatness of Yahweh is that he is the Redeemer. The thing that we all know we ultimately need more than anything. We all know that we need that. We all feel it. You know you're not what you could be or should be. You know that. I know that. We feel that. We feel that. We know that. We call it sin. The world calls it a bazillion things. We know that we're not who we could be or should be. We know that we need something. We need redemption. Think about it. The highest power, Yahweh, was willing to pay the highest price to buy back that which is not worthy. The highest power was willing to pay the highest price to buy back me. Little old piddly me and you. Son of God. Son of God in exchange for you. Son of God in exchange for me. His praise should never, ever leave our lips. Taste and see, church, that the Lord is good. He'll give you everything, including the most important thing, redemption. I pray, church, that as we dig into these psalms, and specifically this one, that we will learn and desire to magnify the Lord together forever. That's what this psalm reminds us. Regardless of circumstance, God deserves our praise. So as we finish up today, we're finishing up with that psalm that we sang several times. We sang it last week. We're finishing up with Psalm 34. Here's what I ask you to do. One of two things today. Either sing this song in a way that magnifies God as best as you are able, or don't sing. One of the two. Don't half-heartedly, halfway go through the motions, mumble some words that you don't really mean. Maybe you mean them some days, but maybe today you just, you just, you just don't feel like it. But if you're going to sing this song today, after all we've looked at the last two weeks, then sing it like you mean it. And let's finish up magnifying God today through song. Jesus, thank you for our redemption. Father God, thank you for your unending, faithful love, God. Thank you for this life that you've given us that we are allowed to experience you and to magnify you and to honor you and that you don't turn your back on us when we stop doing that daily. Thank you that you give us ultimate purpose and meaning and satisfaction and joy and peace in this life 
even though the circumstances don't tell us to feel that way. Lord, teach us to hold fast to truth. And in that truth, put our emotion into that truth, not into the lies of the world, Lord. Thank you that Jesus paid the price to redeem us, God. And if anyone here today has never made that profession publicly, that they want to tell someone, that they, that they want to shout that Jesus is their Savior, that they do not want sin anymore. They want to repent of sin and turn to you as Savior, God. May today be the day that they make that proclamation and may the church and heaven celebrate together in that proclamation, God. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.